This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking beer lovers? What up, everybody? It is currently 1 a.m. Yep. At the time that we are recording this. On a Friday night. On a Friday night, because... This is what we do. This is what we do. (laughs) This is what we do. This is our life. This is how we do it. Yeah. Um, I want to get into this beer, though. Let's do it. So we're sharing one. Because it's massive. Because it's a pint, and it's also 7%. Um, but we've had we've shared one of these beers before. Uh, we did the... So it's the main beer company um, out of Freeport, Maine. And... Uh, I think that they like IPAs because the last one we had was an IPA too. Yeah. Uh, it was just the spring. Yep. And um, this is the lunch. This is the lunch. And I, I don't I don't know what is up with this statement down here at the bottom, but it says, do what's right. Do Jesus things. <laughs> do Jesus things. I, I, I don't know what's up with that. Um, but it says that lunch is a special whale. That has been spotted off the main coast since 1982. She has what looks like a bite taken out of her fin, which adds to her unique character. We dedicated this beer to her determination and persistence. Keep on swimming. Keep on swimming. Keep on. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's beauty in that branding, man. Yeah. Uh, that story, they could have told it a little bit better, but that story is really good. Thank you for drinking our beer. You enable us to continue to do what's right. Take care of our earth and the creatures that live on it. Take care of our staff and to keep making better beer. Yeah. So I did look this beer up online. This is a West Coast style IPA. Mm -hmm. Even though, I mean, if you know your geography, if you've been through sixth grade social studies, you know that Maine's on the East Coast. So it's a West Coast IPA from a East Coast brewery. So I'm actually kind of interested to see what this going to be about. Yeah. Um, and typically, East Coast IPAs and West Coast IPAs are very different. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever made this clear before. I, I, if there is a bottle stamp on it, I always read it. Um, but I don't think we've ever explained why that's important. The best time to drink a beer... Most of the time is within 90 days after it's bottled. Correct. Um, and they actually give that here. Drink this beer fresh within 90 days of stamped born. When was it stamped? Uh, September 7th of 2021. So we're good. Um, we have, as of today, we have two days. Yes, that's true. We have two days. That's true. Um, so we're at the tail end of the 90 days. But we're, we're still good. So we ready? I, I'm here for it. Let's do this. Glass, please, sir. Oh, never mind. I got it. Don't. <laughs> Jerk. Clayton, open the bottle. Reach for my glass. For those of you that are not listening on YouTube, reach for my glass. Got like four inches away from it. It was like, glass, please? 
Like I'm supposed to go the 18 inches to pick it up for his remaining you know, four you inches. You only get this much because. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm, that color looks legit. It smells Thank you. delicious. Oh, it does smell delicious. I remember that about the last one, too. It was very... It had a really good aroma. I, re I remember it was floral. This is also very floral. But this also smells like the epitome of the West Coast IPA. You happy, Andrew Barrett? Drinking out of glasses today. Everyone, please, if you're interested, tell us in the comments and tag Andrew Barrett yes. over and over and over again whether or not you drink beer out of a glass. Yes. And if you don't, this is one time it's okay to shame him. He has <laughs> thick skin. He has thick skin. He will be okay if you shame He'll him. He'll be fine. Mm. It smell. It's not it's, as floral as the it's other. It's not well. It's West more, West Coast typically right. isn't as floral. This is way more like traditional. No, this is the epitome of West Coast. Yeah, this is three different hops, Centennial base. Like this is the epitome of West Coast style I, IPAs. I, I would put this in like a quintessential category for IPAs. Just on the nose. We have Just on the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Whoa. Mmm. That malt kind of comes it's in missing. the back. Huh? It's missing. I don't think it's missing. It, I've, Get like a slight hit of it on the back. Yeah, I know. I needed to be more forward. Really? You want the malt more forward? Yeah, it's not balanced. I mean, it is, but it, it's got so much carbonation in it. it it is very hot, bitter. No, it's not balanced at all. That, that faint malt note kind of comes on the back, back end. Um, don't hear me saying I still think it's good. Yeah, I think it's very good. Um, I don't think it's as good as the spring. Nope. I uh, need more. This is not, this doesn't, on the palate, this does not remind me of like prototypical West Coast style IPA. No. Th this, so I know we're talking about apples and oranges here, but the thing that I loved so much about the spring was that rose note. You remember that? It did have it did have a a very it was, um it was rosy. It was very it specifically was like a, rose. It, yeah. Like rose water type deal. Yeah. And um this is very this is, enjoyable for hop lovers. Which I'm a hop head. I'm here for it. Like yeah. I think it's really good. It's going to get it for sure. It's going to get a good score from me. I I think I'm probably 7-2. Like I, I, a very fair score. I think I think I would agree with that. It's not yeah. blowing anything out of the water. Um, just very prototypical. Just no. I actually think that's the problem. It's not prototypical. It, what do you mean? I it, I think it's not West Coast at all. But when I when I'm saying prototypical, I'm talking about IPA in general, right? Like oh, an overall category. 
Maybe. It's got lots of like quintessence. Like on the nose, it is very much just. This is the first hop you get Centennial hop. Like that. Yes. That's what's busting you right out of the gate. If it wasn't for that, you might not even think this was an IPA at all. I definitely, I don't get it on the palate the way that you would think. I think it's really good, but. I actually just very much disagree. Um, yeah. I, I think that this, to my palate, it is just very much standard IPA. Um, it fits firmly in the IPA category, if that's yeah. what you're saying. I, I think that... They're claiming it's a West Coast style. I disagree with that claim. That's what they said. That's what it said on the website. This is a West Coast IPA from a East Coast brewery. Um, I disagree with that premise. I think it's good. I, I feel very comfortably seven two. If if you're going into it with the expectation of West Coast, I could see where that would be problematic. Yeah, but um, if you're just going into it as this is IPA. <laughs> Right, it's like the, I, I think it's straight up the road. They're not doing. Let me they're say not this: doing anything they're not doing anything different. They're not doing anything special. It's middle of the road, Centennial Hop Ford. It's low, very good low level bond malt. Very little malt flavor. Lots of hop. Lots of bitterness. It is a very good IPA. Like the only. The only thing I will say that it's missing is the IPAs that I think are doing really well have some kind of floral or fruit flavor. Yeah, agreed. This, um, it, it's just hops and malt. There, there's literally, like, there's nothing identifiably there's not really, special or stand out about it. There's not really any sort of flavor development beyond... Massive hop and a hint of malt. A hundred percent. I don't hate it. Like, I actually think it's good. I don't hate it either. Um, I just think there are better IPAs out there. And I think the spring would fall in my top three, probably. um, uh, Favorite IPAs. I probably wouldn't put it in the top three. I just loved that rose water deal. It would be in my top five because that rose thing is unique. But, I mean, everybody know what my number one is. Dogfish Head, 120 minute. Yeah. And number three is going to be the 90 (laughs) minute of Dogfish Head. Number two, can you guess number two? No. You should be able to. Why? Because it's only of my favorite places to go in Houston. St. Arnold's Art Car, bro. You're putting that as number two? Oh, yeah. No qualms. No qualms about putting that number two. I really like the Texas winner. Yeah, but I don't put that in normal rankings because it's not year-round. It's seasonal. No, that's fair. It, that uh, grapefruit note definitely makes it number two, but it's not. I guess nah, truth we Well, I here guess we truth is 120 is not, yeah, not year-round. Round. So, yeah, no, I would put Texas winner 
as number two and the art car as number three. Mm-mm. I, I changed my mind. I, ah, I retract crap, I forgot about the Hopadillo. Oh, I wasn't thinking about the Hopadillo. I was thinking about the, the double, double down. down. I knew you were going to say that. Down. I the love double it. down is so good. I love that beer. It's <sighs> so hop forward, but yet it still finds a way to be balanced. And I love it. I agree I with love you. It. I love it. I love it. I agree with you. I'm such a hophead, man. <laughs> such yeah. a hophead. All right, so let's talk about some theology. Let's do it. So last week's episode, we had titled it Why Would an All-Knowing God Ever Change His Mind? Yeah. And we talked about the moment where God changes his mind. Where yeah. God says, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses says, wait, wait, wait. Don't do that. Mm. Maybe don't. And Moses appeals to the grace of God. Yeah. And God says, okay, I won't do it. So God, and the text literally says, and God changed his mind. Right. And so in any conversation about God's grace, goodness, and knowledge, that must be a part. Mm -hmm. In the same way, you can't have a conversation about God's grace, goodness, and knowledge without having a conversation about a very infamous text in which God regrets making a decision that he had previously made. Yeah. If you remember... Um on the God and Ethics series, um, when we were walking through the Canaanite Conquest narratives, um, this is not, this wouldn't fall into the category of Canaanite Conquest. So, um, not exactly, but, but it's, it's definitely loosely, about holy war. Yeah. Um, we talked about this text. Uh, when in, in our series, it was about God and ethic and specifically God and violence. Right. Um, and this is one of the texts that we brought up. And and we, we did discuss it in great lengths um, in that perspective. Um, but I actually remember asking the question and Cullen shutting me down. <laughs> because rightfully so. Say why. Say why. Why did I shut you down? Uh, well, I'm getting there. Okay. Calm down. Okay. Well, I, I already know that I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. Like, I don't need help being a jerk. I made a joke, bro. But I also know that I'm a jerk sometimes. Yeah, I get it. You're not. You weren't a joke. A jerk. <laughs> you are a joke. Like let's. Just, I, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a new T-shirt. I'm a joke and a jerk. I would wear that shirt. Uh. Yeah. Anyways, I would wear that shirt. Um. So, we were talking about this text in the perspective of God and violence. And we came across this verse where God is like, I regret making Saul king. And I'm like, but wait, 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 wait. Yeah. How can an all-knowing Clayton, God... Clayton wanted to have this conversation in the middle of a conversation about God and violence. Yeah. And I'm like, how can an all-knowing God regret making somebody king? And what was my response? 
uh, we're not walking down that road today. <laughs> that's, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, today be that day, yo. And here we are. We are back to it. And I am very excited because, as you guys know from that episode, this text is really problematic for me. Well, it's problematic for a lot of reasons. Yeah. It's like there's and a lot of things going on here. In the same way that I told you last time, there's going to be pieces of this that are conversation for another day. Jeez, okay. You're not getting all your questions answered today. Okay. We're going to dive down one hole. The knowledge piece. The knowledge piece. All right, so let's do it. <clears throat> so beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel anoints Saul as king in chapter 10. So we're five chapters later. There's several things that have happened. Saul's been to war. Saul's on his game. He's doing the things that he thinks he needs to do. Mm -hmm. And Samuel's still a part of the picture. Mm -hmm. Samuel's this weird kind of transitional figure where he's prophet, he's king, and he's judge mm -hmm. somehow. And borderline priest. Kind of weird how that works because he offers sacrifices. Like Samuel's this really, really important character. And he's still around. 15.1, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, sent me, past tense, chapter 10. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amicalites, Amalekites, for what they did in opposing the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill them, both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Go back and listen to God no, violence. Don't go back and listen. You can go back and listen if you want. I don't think we do a great job of answering that question oh. in that episode. We do answer it in some ways. We answer this conversation in light of that text, specifically in light of a conversation about God and violence. As soon as this conversation is over, or very quickly after, we are going to have a series on the Canaanite conquest narratives. Okay. That's the episode you like. That's the series that's you need to out. hone into. This is not Canaanite conquest, but the main problems and questions listener that you have are answered in Canaanite conquest. Right. Like that's where we're going to be next. So what happens here? Samuel comes to Saul, says, the Lord says, kill everybody. Yeah, and everything. Do genocide. Yeah. Immense power. Yeah, do genocide. Do genocide. This is one of those, if, you've listened, if, you li if you're a listener to all of our podcasts, then you will know from earlier this week when we talked, or last week, when we talked about doing Jesus things, and I said, there are moments where I see the God of the Old Testament where I don't think he's doing Jesus things. Mm -hmm. 
This is one, one of those, those moments, moments. Yeah. where like I'm like, bro, this isn't Jesus things. Mm. Jesus would never tell somebody this. Yeah. But God does. And we move on. Listen in a few weeks for the Canaanite conquest, and we'll we'll work this out. Verse four. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them into lame. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 soldiers of Judah. Saul came to the city of the Amicalites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, leave, withdraw from among the Amicalites, or I will destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amicalites. Verse 7, Saul defeated the Amicalites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. He took King Agag of the Amicalites alive, but utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the cattle and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was valuable and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. What are a couple of things that stand out to you there? First, there should be two things that are screaming at you right yeah. now. First, he did not kill Agag. There um, should be three things that are screaming at you right now. He also did not kill all of the animals. So um, he didn't obey God. He did not obey God. So he God. didn't kill Agag, the king, the most powerful person. And he didn't obey God to kill everything. Right. What's the other thing that we should... Of all the things that he spared, what did he not spare? The people. Well, it says... Oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. He doesn't spare any women and children. Right. Like the thing that's most problematic mm. that he kills innocent women and children. He didn't spare a single one of all the things he disobeys God for. Yeah. Not one of them are in the name of Sedekah, in the name of justice, in the name of righteousness. Mishpat, nowhere to be found. Yeah. That's the Hebrew word for justice. Sedekah, the Hebrew word for righteousness. Not one of these decisions is righteous. He does them for power. Right. Which leads us into the next big thing. Go ahead. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and Samuel was told. Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself, and on returning, he passed down to Gilgal. Um, the key piece, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. and his Pause. It's far enough. If God were truly all-knowing, would he not have known that this was going to happen? Right. So why would an all-knowing God 
make a decision of which he would later regret. That's going to be the title of this episode. Why would an all-knowing God regret making a decision? Why? Are you asking me to try to answer? Yeah. I mean, your role in this podcast is be (laughs) the voice of the audience. I mean, I feel like... First of all, I don't have a good answer. But I feel like, obviously, he can't be all-knowing, right? If if he regrets making a decision, um, he can't be all-knowing. Now, there there is a piece there about God's, about divine likeness, in a, in a sense, if you want to boil it down to just this, <laughs> right? Um, that I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, Right? Saul is no longer pursuing divine likeness. Go ahead. I want to come back to that. Go okay. ahead. Um, Saul is no longer pursuing divine likeness, and now, because of that, God feels like, God feels regret for putting a person of power, putting a person into power that now is no longer following him. But wait. Here's the point I want to make out to you. Saul's appointed in chapter 10. Right. Or Saul's anointed. Samuel anoints Saul in chapter 10. Saul prophesies and then he's proclaimed king in chapter 10. And then Saul and Samuel go on this like universal farewell tour, mm-hmm. it seems. Up until the point where... Saul begins to take this throne and commanded and God commands for him to go defeat the Amalekites. Amalekites. As all of this is playing out, Saul's not once quote unquote made a mistake. The first time he makes a mistake, God says, I regret ever making you king. Yeah. Notice, though, Abram makes a mistake, not once, not twice, but three times related to his promise. Right. Before... Like, anything happens, and never once does God say, I regret what I've decided to do with you. Right. Why do you think God does it here? Why do you think God regrets making Saul king? Well, I think that there there's several conversations that need to happen to answer that question, but um, I would say that the root of it is because he never wanted a king in the first place. Well, so they want a king to be like other nations. Right. That's true. And, and, and God and never wanted a king in the first place. He didn't think it was a necessary position. He wanted a theocracy. He right. wanted to rule the people, yes. But give me another reason. I cannot think of another reason at the moment. It is 
130. It is 130. I think what's happening here is God shows up and says, hey, go do this. And Saul says, okay, I'm going to do it. And then he doesn't do it. Like, not even anywhere close mm. to what God asks him to do. Right. According to the story. Now, mind you, I got massive problems. About what God asked him to about do. About what God asked him to do. Yeah. Like, don't hear me saying, like, I've missed that. I got massive problems that he asked him to kill women and children. Yeah. I got big qualms. Major qualms. Yeah. The thing that I think's important here is that God doesn't give up on Abram when he makes a mistake three times related to his covenant. Mm. Saul makes a mistake here one time related to his covenant. The difference is Abram's mistakes are not related to Abram's own power over the covenant. Saul's mistake related to Saul's position of power as king yeah. over the covenant. Just like the conversation we had two weeks ago, knowledge and power coincide. They play right. off one another. They go. Yes. They work off one another. Absolutely. God wants no part of Saul's power. God wants leaders who are knowledgeable, who are wise. And who are humble enough to submit to him. Right, and admit when they're, they're wrong. They're wrong. Which, to be fair, Saul does. After the fact. Yeah, like, yeah. But don't we all make mistakes and then after the fact? Of course. A hundred percent. Like and even David makes mistakes. But uh, here's the deal. Which if you don't know, listener, David is Saul's successor. Right. That's the only reason I'm bringing that up. David does make mistakes, but David does what Saul does. Literally. Falls on his face and repents. Mm-hmm. Does it the exact same thing. One time. Well, in in this narrative, he does that. Yes. But both of them have other times where they fail God and they don't respond in that way. Yes, that's true. Because of their power. Right. Like at one point, David, his one of his sons rapes one of his daughters. Yeah. And David does nothing. Yeah. And that becomes a problem. Not for David, but for David's other sons. Yeah. Like, all of this is a massive dilemma. And Saul does a really heinous thing here. Mm-hmm. Like, and don't hear, don't hear it lost on me. It's troubling that God asks him to do what he asks him to do. Yes. According to the narrative. It's also troubling that Saul chooses not to do it. Mm -hmm. Saul chooses not to do it for power, though. Right. Saul chooses not to do it for wealth. 
Saul chooses not to do it for value of these things. And God shows up and says, I regret ever making you king. Hmm. Why on earth would an all-knowing God regret making a decision? I think the answer is... I'm going to oversimplify this, and there are going to be people that disagree with me, and I understand this is an oversimplification. But I don't see another way that an all-knowing God could regret making a decision unless his knowledge is limited. In a very simple way. Why on earth would an all-knowing God ever change his mind? Because his knowledge is limited. That's where I'm at. I... There's nothing in the story of the Bible that convinces me without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, that God's knowledge is not limited. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Now, there is a question to be had here about whether or not God is all-knowing and chooses not to know mm. or whether God, whether or not God's incapable of being yeah. all-knowing. I think... I personally would say that it's not that God's incapable right. of being all-knowing. It's, it's that God chooses out of grace, love, mercy, and relationship to be not all-knowing. That's that Jürgen Moltmann piece of God limiting his own power. Self-limitation. Um, to be more interactive in the world and to be more imminent. In, um, for, for Moltmann... The real, the real reason that God would choose to do that is because a transcendent God can't ever be in yeah, relationship with right. his people because they're not transcendent. Right. They're imminent. Mm. And mm. so it's only through God giving up transcendence and taking on imminence, ergo Jesus, right. that a transcendent God can ever know an imminent human. And so, for Jürgen, God says, hey, I don't need to know everything. More than anything, I need to know that I'm your everything. Mm.